I want to ask you this morning a really basic question. I want to ask you if you think that I can make, if not a fire, at least some smoke from these two bits of wood. Do you think it's possible? Yes. Who thinks it's possible without a doubt? Tash, do you want to come show us how to do it? Yeah, but do you think it's possible? If you think it's possible, can you come and demonstrate for us how you would do it? Yes, it was a trick question. I was trying to catch you out, and you were the eager beaver. <laughs> now, now I, I said to Kirsten, Kirsten, do you think that I can rub these sticks together and make some smoke? And she said, oh, Dad, you know, that takes an awful lot of friction, and I just don't think it's possible that you can create that kind of friction on your own. So, Thank you very much for a good answer. Do you, do you think... Tash can do it on her own without any help. <laughs> Using her hands. She's just going to use her hands and she's going to try and make a fire. Is there another option? <laughs> look, look, folks, I'll tell you what. This is entirely possible because this is science. Do you believe in the laws of science? God put these laws. Come on, Tash. God put these laws of science in the universe and they cannot be broken. If you get that little stick whizzing around fast enough, you will make a fire. Come on, Tash. <laughs> shall, shall we save her? I think, uh, Kirsten, shall we save her? Can you smell smoke? All right, all right, all right. Now, now Margo, Margo, if you want to buy these as gifts for your family... These are $30 at Bunnings, and they make great toys. You, you'll love this, Margo. There you go. <laughs> Look at her eyes, like, oh, wow, I can do that. Yeah, you can, you can buy one of these. $30. All right, let's not drop it. Now, before the service, when no one was looking, I, I just made a power source available. Now, do you think I can make fire? No, no power. We'll have to swap. Who's going to swap that for me? anymore. Tash isn't the... Thank you for trying. <laughs> Tash, it was impossible. But look at this. Is this possible? Better get the center of balance right. right are you ready? I'm going to be smelling like I went to an all-day barbecue in a minute. Oh, yeah. She's starting to smoke. Oh, it's coming on, brothers and sisters. And we've got a fire Hard work. How'd you feel, Tash? 
through the bit and you put the wood on wood and before long it's just smoke everywhere it's great it's going to happen for anyone who wants to make it happen it's kind of like that with God's covenant ha, have to turn this around now God's covenant is based on a set of laws now God's covenant will work for anyone and you can pick Anyone in the Bible who took an interest in God, who decided to follow God and research their lives, and you'll find that the covenant of God follows right through. Just like the law of friction. If I get those two sticks and I rub them hard enough, I'll get a fire going sooner or later. It's easier with a drill, but you could probably do it with a bow. Look, making a fire by friction is very, very, very hard work. And we've all watched those survival programs on TV where they just rub a few sticks and it flares up. I'm telling you what, they edited that film. (laughs) Between when they started shooting and between when the guy actually gets the fire going, there's a six-hour period. (laughs) And they make it look like it happened in two minutes. It's hard work. They've got to be diligent. They've got to make sure that they fulfill the conditions You've got to have like a really soft piece of wood and a really hard piece of wood. You've got to get the combination right so that little coal forms. And then if you drop that little coal on wet grass, you're doomed. It's got to be absolutely dry. And that's why these guys always carry some grass or some kindling under their clothes where it's close to their skin where it can stay nice and dry. So that when they get to where they want to camp, they can pull it out and they fulfill the conditions of the laws of science. Well, it's like that with God's covenant. If we can fulfill the conditions of the laws of God's covenant, we can be guaranteed that God will answer his covenant. Now, listen to me carefully. Every single person in the Bible who's put their trust in God and has lent on the covenant have heard God's response saying to them, I will do everything in my heart, by my spirit, And for my good intentions to benefit you, your family, and your generations to follow. 
I will go out of my way to bless you. I will go out of my way to prosper you. If you stick to these rules, if you don't give up, if you keep on trying, this law will work in your life and in your family's life. You will succeed and be blessed by my favor. We can trust that. So I hear somebody at the back. Was it you? I can hear them saying, now, give me an example. Well, thank you for that question at the back there, sir. Very nice of you, Craig. Remember Jethro. Now, now, Jethro in the Old Testament was called a priest of Midian. I suspect that Jethro was pretty much involved with pagan worship before he met Moses. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And you know when Moses fled from Egypt and went into the wilderness, the first thing he came across in the wilderness were seven beautiful young girls, which is not what you would expect to find in the wilderness. And so Moses was a strapping young man in those days, and he came across these seven beautiful girls in the middle of nowhere, watering their flocks. And Moses was a strong guy. He was young. He was virile. And there were some shepherds there, and the shepherds went to chase the girls away from the water source because they were watering their flocks at a well, seven of these girls. And Moses said to himself, this is my chance. And he went running in there and he probably dealt some of those shepherds a couple of stiff whacks and he chased them away and he said to them, these girls are my friends. Let them drink water. So the seven girls watered their flocks and they were Jethro's daughters. And they went back to Jethro, and Jethro said, how come you're back so early? Oh, Dad, it's amazing. There was this handsome guy. And you know, those shepherds wouldn't let us water our flocks, but then this man came in there and drove them away, and he helped us water our flocks. He did all the work for us. And so Jethro said, well, where is this guy? And the Bible doesn't say much about the rest. It says, so Moses lived with them happily ever after. (laughs) That was it. He married one of them, had children, settled down, and that was to be his lot in life. And it seems like he was content to have landed with his proverbial bum in the butter right there. And it almost seems as if Jethro didn't have any sons, and so Moses who was really looking for a father figure because Pharaoh wasn't a very good father figure for him, found a father figure in Jephro, and they kind of had this alliance. And so when Moses started talking to God and God started talking to Moses, guess who was watching? Jethro was watching. And Jethro might have had a host of other gods. They said he was a religious man. They called him the priest of Midian. So he was obviously interested in the spiritual realm, but not quite certain who to follow, just like many people in the world today. And then Moses came out from herding his flocks one day and went to see his father-in-law and said, I've just had this huge experience with God. And he told Jethro that he was going to go to Egypt and set all his people free. And Jethro listened and didn't say anything. He's probably just curious as to know how this was going to end. And lo and behold, A little while later, through signs and wonders and great stories of power, Moses comes back with millions of people, 
Jethro is impressed. Yes, he is impressed. Do you think he's convinced? Do you think he's going to follow the Lord God, Jehovah? I would say yes, because the Bible says that he praised God for the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. He sat down with the elders and had a meal with them and celebrated God's great victory. And when Moses was getting burnt out, he sat him down and said, Moses, there's a better way to do it. And Moses listened to him. They had relationship. And then Moses said to him, Jethro, I'm going to take these people to the land that God has promised us. Don't worry, it's not your land. And Jethro was saying, well, nobody wants my land. We live in the desert, my son. Nobody wants to live here. We live here a desert lifestyle, very dry, very sparse, very hard, very challenging. We don't plant plants. We stay away from other people. We live really in a very lonely place, but it's good for us. They were kind of like a Bedouin people in that they lived in tents. They herded animals. And they migrated from place to place just looking for the sparse ground cover and water and the times of the season. And they didn't have a lot of things. But they were wealthy in their relationships, it appeared. Anyway, so when Moses said to Jethro, I'm going to take these people to the land that God has promised us, Jethro said, well, I think some of my people will go with you. Because we like the power, the relationship, and the covenant that your God seems to give you. And I'm pretty sure that at that stage, Jethro attached himself to the God of Moses and became a follower of the great Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Because in that desert wilderness situation, he would need a provider. So Moses set off with all his people, and he had some of Jethro's people with him too. And these people became known as the Kenites. And the Kenites were not Jewish people, but the Kenites were related to the Jewish people, and they followed the Jewish faith. They were actually Jethro's people, and they had become desert dwellers, and they settled in the Negev Desert, which is just below the Promised Land. And there they became a nomadic Bedouin tribe traveling around, out of sight and out of mind for a long time. Now, in my Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 10, it speaks of Jonadab, son of Rechab. Now, Jonadab is a Kenite. And Jonadab was a direct descendant from Jethro. And here we are about 850 years before Christ comes onto the scene. And there's Jonadab in, in 2 Kings chapter 10. And Jehu was the man who was overthrowing Ahab and Jezebel. It gets really complicated, so I'm trying to simplify it for my own basic understanding as well as yours. Anyway, the time had come for Ahab and Jezebel to be dethroned, and God used this king called Jehu, who was slightly corrupt himself, and he ended up involved in Baal worship towards the end of his reign. But at the beginning of his reign, he wanted somebody to impress. He wanted somebody righteous. He wanted somebody pure. He wanted somebody good. And he looked around and he found Jonadab. Jonadab, the descendant of Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. And he turns to this guy and says, Is your heart towards my heart as my heart is towards your heart? Which is a long-winded way of saying, are you with me? 
And Jonadab said, yes. And Jehu said, climb up on my chariot and see my zeal for the Lord. Because he was so desirous of impressing somebody. And, and Jonadab must have felt, oh, Baal worship has been overthrown. The idolatry of the nations has been removed. This Jehu is going to be the hope of Israel. He's going to turn the fortunes of Israel around. We're going to follow God once again as Jethro. My great, great, great grandfather said we should. And now Jonadab was a very strong man of God. He went on to serve God even though Jehu fell. Jonadab went back to his people and said to them, We will continue in the way that we have always been. Listen to me, my family. Nobody in this tribe will ever build a house. We will not get comfortable in this country because we are situated slap bang in the midst of the Canaanites and the Canaanites have got wicked, immoral and terrible religious systems that break people down. So what I want you to do is to never build a house. Never grow vineyards, never plant crops, never drink wine. Live a simple life as we've always lived and serve God. Don't settle among the people. Don't even make friends with them. Move on. And so that was 850 years before Jesus Christ walked on the earth when he was born to Joseph and Mary. Now about 600 years before Jesus came along. So this is about 250 years later. God decided to use the Kenites, son of Rechab, son of Jonadab. He wanted to use them as an object lesson. So he said to Jeremiah, go fetch these guys. Jonadab was long dead. 250 years had passed and Jeremiah brought them into the temple and sat them down. And in front of all of them, he put big jugs of wine. And he said to these Rechabites or Kenites, drink as much wine as you want. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We won't drink any wine. Why? Because Jonadab, our great, great, great grandfather, said to us that we should never drink wine. We should never plant crops. We should never live in houses. But that we should serve God and we should travel like nomads, not attaching ourselves to anyone, but staying separate from the world. And then Jeremiah turned to the house of Israel and he said, do you see this example? These Kenites are faithful to their earthly father. And you can't be faithful to your spiritual father. These Kenites obeyed simple laws about keeping themselves pure, keeping themselves separate keeping themselves in relationship and keeping themselves devoted to me and you Israelites could not obey the laws of your heavenly father. And then Jeremiah turned around and pronounced a blessing on this Kenite or Rechabite tribe. He said, God says to you that you shall never lack a man to stand before me. Covenant. Well, that's interesting that God would say something like that, isn't it? And then we forget about them for a while. And we go to a guy called Joseph Wolf. Joseph Wolf was born in the 1800s in Germany. He was a Jewish man. He was convinced that there was more to faith than what he had. 
And he was talking to somebody about the great and glorious Messiah who was to return. And the guy he was talking to was a Christian, said to him, Joseph, go and read your Bible. Read Isaiah 53. And you will see there that the Messiah you are waiting for is Jesus Christ. So Joseph went and read his Bible and discovered Jesus Christ and gave his heart to Jesus and went on to become a great missionary. He's known as the missionary to the world. Now in the 1840s, he went on a mission to the Holy Land to research the tribes. And guess who he found? I'll I'll read it to you because this is... Incredible. Now we're talking about the 1840s. This is thousands and thousands of years that have passed since Jethro said, I think my family will follow Jehovah. He said, In Yemen, I spent six days with the Rechabites. They drink no wine, plant no vineyards, sow no seed, live in tents, and remember the words of Jonadab, Son of Rechab. In our times, this nomadic race still serves Jehovah, undisturbed, undefiled, and untouched by the world. They've been serving God in the wilderness all along, and nobody knew, but they have been in covenant with Almighty God, and they have never lacked a man to stand before Jehovah. And we think, oh, true believers have been wiped out and they're so hard to find and what's coming next. And these guys were serving God all along like nothing was happening through the ups and the downs, through the ins and the outs. And they numbered at that time in the 1840s over 100,000, 100,000 of these God-fearing people serving Jehovah in the wilderness, listening to the words of someone who spoke 850 years before Christ was born about remaining pure in their faith into God. And God kept his covenant with them, literally proving that our God is a covenant God, keeping covenant with anybody, even Jethro, who might have been a pagan worshiper back in the day. His family still exists as nomads, Serving God. And just like God looked after them, God will look after you. If you join your heart to the heart of God, and you say, Father, yes, I want relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I want to walk with you. God will say, certainly. Not only will I bless you, but I'll bless your children and your children's children to come. I'll bless your going out and your coming in. I'll bless the work of your hands. I'll bless your house. I'll bless the people who bless you. And soon everybody will know that it's a good idea to be in good terms with you because you are a person of favor that the whole world can see. I'm telling you something. When you put your hand in the hand of God and trust his covenant in your life, God will never walk out on you. God will never turn his back on you. And by supernatural events and by divine intervention God will prosper you throughout your life through thick and thin you might be going through a really 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 tough time I'm telling you what tough times don't last but the covenant of God will last for eternity you might be going through an illness your illness might even be terminal I'll tell you what when you've got God's hand your terminal illness 
will end in glory. Whether you live for 50 years, 20 years, 100 years, makes no difference in the great economy of God. You will be with him. He has given you his word. He is a God of covenant. He will not drop you. Do not worry. God has your back. He'll look after you. I have no doubt when I turn to God and say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't take one more step. I don't know which way to turn. I'm just going to give the whole mess to you. I can walk away knowing that God's going to deal with it. God's going to sort it out. God's going to turn it around and I can just relax. It's not me doing the work. Just like that power drill did all the work, making the smoke. God will do all the work, making a fire in your life. It will burn up all the disadvantage, burn up all the criticism, burn up all those negative words, burn up any kind of residual abuse, burn out any habits that you hate. God will change the circumstances and turn them around if you keep trusting him. It's a law. It's a law. Just like if you rub a stick to make fire, is a law of science. So a law of God's covenant is if you stick with God through thick and thin, God will stick with you through thick and thin and you will end up being the victor. If you had to ask David when he was in the desert of Ziglag how he felt, he would have said, well, read Psalm 22 and you'll know that all hope was lost. But he stuck with God and God brought him through it and God will bring you through whatever you need to get through. Some young people say to me, oh, I've never had hardship in my life. I don't really think I'm going to need God that much. Wait until you have children, young people. <laughs> and your children get sick or they get bullied at school or something happens to them. This is way beyond your control or your comfort zone. That's when we go running to God and say, oh, Lord, help my children. I don't know what to do. I've had parents whose children have been addicted to substances and their whole world falls apart. Well, that's a crisis. It's time to turn to God and call on the covenant because God will not forsake his people. Amen. Father, we come before you in this year of 2021. We know, Lord, that the world is in a state of chaos. And it seems like there is disaster on every hand. But we know, Father God, that there is no chaos in the spirit of God. And Jesus Christ is a solid, unchanging rock. And when we stand on that solid rock, we will not be shaken. And we know, Lord God, that your plan for us is good. Your plan for us is gracious. You are kind and you are gentle. And so this morning, Father God, we, we recommit to you. And we thank you that you'll open doors that we can't even see. And in the midst of chaos, we'll be stable and safe. And we can turn to the world and say, this is the way. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen.